Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The shark has such teeth there. And it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife. Has old Maggie Heath, babe And it keeps it uh, out of sight You know when that shark bites So welcome everybody to this latest edition of Macklin's Take. Hope everybody's well. Myself, Andy Clark, uh, Matt Macklin with you as always. And today we're in the company of a man who we've had a good few requests for, actually, since we started doing this. Three. So, <laughs> well, four. I think it might be four <laughs> at the last count. And... He's someone who people see more and more of now. I wouldn't say he was a man of mystery before that, but to a degree he was. You, you would see him around and, and, and we knew the kind of... He was a behind-the-scenes guy. He was a behind-the-scenes guy, but now he's come more to the fore. He's been chairing press conferences, he gives more interviews, and I think people are more aware of, of who he is. And, and it's Frank Smith, CEO of Matchroom Boxing, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Well, it's good to see you. I've been waiting for a while to get on this. Well, <laughs> I keep seeing you, and Brent, I'm like, I wonder when. They, I wonder if they'll ever ask me. It's been me sending in the requests. <laughs> it's, I'm the Aliases. Four. It's the four different people on Twitter. That's me. He's creating Twitter accounts just to send the requests in. Well, it's worked. It's worked. It's worked. Um, you so, give no shit as well. <laughs> was, it you, was it you posted the one star review? Yeah, yeah, that was me. That was me. <laughs> so we well, actually, we'll start with a rumor. I'll start with a rumour that was put around by Callis Sowland on this, uh, on this podcast just uh, a couple of weeks ago. He, he was very complimentary about you, actually. Uh, but he did say that your first gig in boxing uh, in the promotional game was putting up illegal fight posters around London. And the reason you were given the job was because you were too young to be nicked. Can, so you, could, can sounds, you confirm or deny? That sounds about correct. I will not confirm, neither deny. But that sounds like something I could possibly have been doing around various train stations in the London area, including Romford Station. I started my career by handing out leaflets at about five in the morning outside train stations for events we had coming up. And I just remember how disheartened I got when about 3,000 people would walk past me and not one would pick up a leaflet. 
So Soul destroying. Yeah, it is. It is real. It's character building. I'd say. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a phrase people like to bandy around, isn't it? For yeah. shit jobs, yeah. isn't it? Character, character building. building. Uh, that's what it was. Yeah, but Callis Island, I can trust him to you know keep all the secrets away. But that is probably the truth. I was too young. I was sixteen. I was fifteen or sixteen. So I wasn't. They couldn't arrest me. I think they could only send me on my way. So they used to. I just got sent out to do it. Was that where it all started then? Uh, to be honest, I met Eddie when I was about 14, selling raffle tickets. Um, someone said he's the guy with the Bentley outside. He bought 20 quid's worth of raffle tickets. They told me about the car. I went up to him, called him a tight bastard, asked him for 50, and he gave it to me. And then from that day onwards, I just pestered him for a job from the age of 14. And when I was 16, he finally you know, let me let me in. I, I think he thought, what am I doing? Hiring wore him down. Yeah. Eventually, it was like, can you stop emailing me? I'll give him a job for three months and then sack him if he's useless. Um, so, yeah, that started there and then just went and did anything and everything, delivering teas, coffees, pizzas, giving out leaflets, anything you needed, putting advertising boards out on golf courses, anything you could imagine that you don't really want to be doing at five in the morning. I probably did it. That, that's how it works, though, isn't it, in, in any of these kinds of businesses you, you, you do have to wear people down it's, it's a fine line between being persistent and being so annoying that they actually just won't give you the time of day or reply to you but to be honest you're way better veering towards that side than you are towards the not persistent enough side I mean if, if you want to do this that's it's the only way in isn't it it's, it's quite old-fashioned like that I mean we're talking about we talk about it regularly about perseverance you know Anthony Crella fighting tomorrow night and you talk about perseverance um, and staying the course and believing in yourself and going you know success is they say is going from one failure to the next without losing enthusiasm and it's it, it is it's all character building you do need character to get to, to that deflation that disappointment when you get not back in anything you're doing in any walk of life and it's really prevalent in boxing you know, because everyone's quick to knock you and say, oh, it's not, you're not good enough, whatever. But to keep picking yourself up and keep going, that does take character and that does build character. And I mean, this is this is what we're going to talk about. Like, you, you were giving out flyers, you're doing a job that no one else wanted to do at five in the morning. And now you're the CEO of the one of the biggest boxing companies, if not the biggest in the world, you know, certainly in the UK, Europe. And it, it, it does take character and perseverance to get there. So. You know, boil. So, what, what year was that then? So that was thinking back now. Someone asked me this earlier. That was probably about two thousand and seven. I've been there twelve years now, coming up to my thirteenth year, straight out of school. But that's what I say to people now. Like when people are, as you can imagine, now boxing's cool. Everyone wants to be involved. Everyone wants a job. Everyone who asks for a job, I'm just like, just email me every single week. And if I don't reply, fifty weekends at fifty weeks out of the year, just keep emailing me because eventually, if something comes up, we might go, oh, there's that annoying geezer who just won't stop pestering me. That was a bit like me. So now it's just just keep pestering, and you will get ignored most of the time because we're very busy. But one day you might get through. And that's all it takes. You'll get your chance. In, in, in life, I, I believe in life, whatever it is you're doing, you will get an opportunity. If you stay consistent and you persevere and you stay with it, you will get an opportunity. Then it's up to you whether you can do what you say you can do. But you will get an opportunity, but you just, you've got to stay, stay consistent with it. I also don't think, as well, someone said to me the other day, you guys are very clever. I don't think you have to be clever. Like I got eight, nine GCSEs of B to D. Like, not... Don't, I wasn't at all intelligent. But it's just, if you work harder than everyone else, 
and are happy to go and do it years and years and years and years and keep pushing keep pushing yourself and working harder than anyone else I don't think you need to be intelligent don't get me wrong some people are very intelligent done very well but there's a lot of people out there and I suppose it's like boxing if you put 10 times in you've got a bit of ability but 10 times in more than anyone else you're going to do well you know it's just like anything in life anything in life there's an awful lot to be said for consistency and perseverance and just refusing to quit like I say going from one you know, it's pretty deflating, isn't it, when you, you've got a goal or you've got a dream or you've got a hope of, of achieving something and you get knocked back. It, it's deflating. You know, it can be soul-destroying and some people don't want to go there again to, to feel that feeling. But the ones that can keep picking themselves up and that are brave enough to dare to fail time and time and time again, they're the ones that eventually get there. It's about playing to your strengths, isn't it? And finding something, identifying something that, that works for you, that, that suits you. Because you come across plenty of people who are not educated, athletes, because their, their job precludes higher education, but they're still intelligent. You don't have to be educated to be intelligent. Absolutely. Likewise, you can be educated, but not be that intelligent. Um, you, can be, you can be uneducated and unintelligent, which isn't the combination you really want, but you know, any number of those are... If you're attractive... Well, but then you're, you're laughing, aren't you? Kind of <laughs> <laughs> but oh, 2007, that's an interesting point in a, in a kind of matchroom journey with, with boxing recently mm. because it wasn't that long after that, that that things started to really move. So your timing was good. Yeah, no, I, look, I started, I worked on, like, we do, we obviously, a lot of people don't really know about matchroom that we probably organise about 400 event days a year across um, you know, 10, 11 different sports, you know, from darts, snooker, golf, fishing, bowling, poker, uh, pool, gymnastics, basketball. So we're constantly, our business is events. Like, although we love boxing, our business is putting on events. And we, you know, over the years... And promoting the events. Yeah, and promoting, yeah. And, and building, like Barry's always done it, building events, building the stars around it. Um, and over the years, you know, boxing sort of fell out of... We always did boxing, but didn't make as much of a push as we had done in the past. And then Eddie came in. Eddie had always had a passion for the sport. I think it was around the prize fighter times, you know, Audley Harrison. Audley Harrison was what really pushed Eddie back into boxing, I think. Um, you know, sort of out of nowhere. But prize fighter built the sp- I feel prize fighter was part of the thing that built, helped build the sport back up and, you know, bring in a new audience, a new fan base of people who. It's like all these sports. You look at cricket and the, and the treble twenty and things like that. They bring in a new audience. I think Prize Fighter was one of those. And then over time, people started understanding the characters involved and following the, the, the new stars. And then Prize Fighter sort of served its purpose. Yeah, I don't know how much Prize Fighter, um, you know, carried boxing. That's but I think it certainly carried Matchroom's involvement within boxing through those years. Because I remember. You know, I was when I fought Jamie Moore, I was a matchroom fighter. I'd fought the Nate Rounder before that. It was my first fight on a three-fight deal, the Jamie Moore fight, and then the comeback fight. Back in those days, John Wish was running things at Matchroom. You know, I, I, I never spoke with Barry. You know, Brian Peters did the deal with John Wish, but it was very much a case of there's a day off Sky, there's a Leisure Centre, there's a main event, there's a chief support, there's a bit, of, there's a Polish guy on the undercard. We sell a bit there. It breaks even. It's literally, that's the cost. That's what it makes. You know? Do you know what I mean? It wasn't. There was no ambitions. There was no imagination. There was no investment at all. It was just. It was. It was just another thing in the match room. Um, you know, catalogue of sports. But 
when Audley Harrison met Eddie playing poker, prize fighter, then then the McCluskey Khan thing happened. And I remember this clearly because this was I was meant to be the chief support fight for McCluskey Khan. And when I pulled out came off pay-per-view, right? It came off the pay-per-view and it went on prime time and I ended up fighting Felix Sturm and you know, then I signed with Debella and obviously Darren Barker was with Eddie and so you know there was and I actually the first time I met you, Frank, was out in Atlantic City was when Carl Frutch was fighting Andre Ward in the final of the Super Six and I was living out in New York you know I was training with Buddy McGirt and I'd been out there for, for several months but that the rise of Matchroom from that point to where it is now has been like meat it's just been unbelievable and I remember I remember seeing you actually you, how old were you then? That was I must have been. You, you look like a I kid. Must have been nine to eighteen, nineteen. Yeah, like I, mean, you, I remember we were. I don't in think Atlantic I was City. old enough. You weren't old to enough be to in be the in bar, the bar. and I was drinking. I mean, again, yeah. maybe I wasn't. I was drinking water yeah. in the casinos. But you, you, he wasn't allowed to even be in the bar. And I remember that, and and obviously then. So that was like what back to 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 eleven. Yeah. Towards the end of my career, then sort of two fourteen fifteen, I had the, the last few fights I had in my career was with Matchroom, and that's when we got to know each other. Obviously, a lot better. You come out to my bear and different things, but I've dealt with a lot of people in boxing, and and, and I won't even go on my quote. We're sitting here, and you know, we're friends. But there was there's a guy called Anthony Catanzaro, who's the head of boxing at the Barclays Centre, a good friend of mine. He advised me a little bit towards the end of my own career, and we're good friends. We stay in touch, and. Anthony Catanzaro always says to me, he goes, Frank Smith is the best executive I've ever dealt with in boxing. He said, he, and, and, I remember, and me and my brother Shane even said this, you know, a, a boxing event is fucking stressful, man. I'm on about, you've got every nose on the planet expecting that they should be sitting front row calling you with 24 hours no just think this is a given you've got hotels you've got fights 43 you've got sanctioning bodies you've got weighing you've got you know training it, 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 it's chaos man do you know what I mean I'm telling you but to stay organised and not fall out and get stressed out and just deal with it and like I've got to say out of everyone I've dealt with talk about just dealing with it taking it in your stride and that's he's a young young man do you know what I mean that was brought into it but you can't go to university and get a degree in the business of boxing. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like something you have to learn as you no, go. That, I was, I was going to say exactly that earlier on. You know, you could have gone on and done A levels and gone to university, then done an MBA at Harvard, uh, and that they're a value. You you will learn things, but it won't prepare you for working in boxing because nothing prepares you for working in boxing apart from working in boxing, uh, and that's just that is just uh, an unavoidable fact that to get into the kind of bones of of, of what you do now and the position you're in now how I mean you do an unbelievable amount of air miles firstly you must get calls and emails constantly from fighters trainers managers complaining that you're not doing this and you're not doing that you're constantly kind of firefighting probably how do you manage to keep all the plates spinning and everybody happy Firstly, I'd just like to say I'm going to give Macklin a grand for that, that <laughs> sh- or a promotional deal. Two, but you it's know either I mean. a promotional deal or a grand for that. So you know, I'm a fucking I'm agent. Sweet. I know you should. You're like fucking Jerry Maguire there. <laughs> um, no, you, you know, because I feel like I've grown up from you know, I was a child basically when I started working for Matchroom and working there. I think I've grown up and 
and start to understand. I used to get really stressed. I used to like everything used to get on top. And you'd be like, oh, what's going on? But then after a while, you just realise that eventually it all happens. Like it, it happens or it doesn't. Like you, some things you just can't change. You can work as hard as you can, and you know some some things just just are out of your control. And I think in boxing more than ever, and now doing close to fifty shows a year. We're going to have more problems than we had when we were doing 10 shows a year. And it's on a bigger scale, so there are more problems. You know, I, I obviously deal with the fighters um, quite closely. You know, some fighters people are closer with than others. Like there's certain fighters I've sort of worked with since they turned professional. Other fighters, other people in our team have got a close relationship with. You know, I work closely with our broadcast partners, so with Sky and DAZN. I work with all our venue uh, closely a lot, you know, with our new sponsor part, sponsorship partners. Saudi Arabia is a good example, going out there, building something from, you know, literally the sand up, building an O2 basically in the, in the middle of nowhere in two months to then take it all back down. You know, so I think... There's a there's a range of roles. It's, it's very hard to actually explain what you do day to day, but it's 24 hours a day. It's a it's not a job. It's just a lifestyle now. And I think that's part of my thing. It's just I have a great life that goes with it. You know, I get to travel the world. I get to see a lot of things. It would be very easy just to look at it and go, oh, it's just such hard work, so stressful. But at the same time, it's actually appreciating. Look at what we're getting to do now. The people we get to meet. The you know the 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 things we go to constantly flying around the world you know it was actually barry said to me when this all sort of popped off and you know went to another another level he said don't forget to enjoy it along the way like don't feel like obviously it's work but you've got to enjoy the moments because you'll look back in 10 years and go do you remember when we did that and do you remember when we did this and i do that now from 10 years ago but now the stories are even wilder did, did you have a moment a kind of surreal moment that you can remember whereby you found yourself part of the negotiations or discussions for a big fight and you're in a room and you look around and you think, fucking hell, there are some massive big hitters in this room and me. But when I say something, they seem to be listening. I think I might have arrived. Do you know what? I think I have that quite a lot. Not so. I have the moment where I look around and I think I'm just like a chubby kid from Rumford who has just like worked and worked. and So... I think I just have that moment quite a lot where I think, what am I doing here? You know, but <laughs> but it's kind of, and we joke because we're like, like Eddie's also an Essex, but we're just like, to us, it's all fun. Like the whole journey is a bit of fun. Like everyone else is so... But I think that's probably what's so infectious and so endearing and I think probably why so many people, are, maybe we've been so successful as well because I think, that, you know, it's like how many deals I did with Eddie when you know, with MTK, never had a contract. I never had a contract with him myself personally. It was never because I know he's honourable, you know, and, and I'd like to think he thought I was the same. You know, I knew if he said that's the money, that's the deal, that's it. You know, and that that's so refreshing in, 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 when you're used to, you know, basically your contracts are like this and it's, you know, it's like, because I know, I remember Barry saying it years ago. You know, if you, if we we know that we're going to go above and beyond and do our best for our fighters. And if you think you can get better elsewhere, or if you can get better, best of luck to you. He says, "We, I don't want the negativity of the going into the lawsuits and all the rest." You know, we don't. But at, and at the same point, they don't. What I would have found with Matthew, they don't overly overly invest. You know, early on because what they do that they, they make from the get go. So if you want to leave, you can leave. 
where you know if someone's overpaying you early doors then they need to recoup their investment so then they've got to sign you up and they probably need three years five years so you know they're different models basically but I do think that the fact that Barry sees it I don't need the aggravation I've got so much other stuff going on in the sports if people want to leave us leave us and and and, and it's kind of a, a nice refreshing atmosphere I don't even know the word I'm looking for yeah I think as you say because we don't we just want to work with people we enjoy working with you know like Barry's obviously done very well. Eddie's done very, you know, the successful business and not just in boxing, but as I say, a number of sports. And now is at the point where it's like, we don't want to kill ourselves flying around the world for people who don't actually respect what we do. Appreciate what what you're doing. And I think, as you say there, you know, like certain fighters, ours is like a long-term plan with people. Like we don't, we don't sign big. There's lots of other times and occasions that, you know, we've dealt with things in the past where it's like, there's other people offering a load more money. I think one was like Tom Stalker, for example. We worked with Tom Stalker, do you remember, for a while? Yeah. And then he joined Frank Warren. There's no hard feelings with us. It's like, you've got to do what's best for you. Yeah. And I still get on very well with Tom Stalker, for example. There's other people like that. You know, Josh Warrington. He's gone and done his own thing with Frank Warren. And well done to him. He's done very well. Um, but, you know, we're just... It's all part and parcel of the business. Really. Like we, Not every relationship lasts, unfortunately. But we hope to think that, you know, we treat people well and we have a good time. You know, we're like friends in the end to people as well. You know, we have good relationships with them and you can talk openly about things and hopefully we'll come together. But it has to work for everyone. And I think that's been a strength for us is that we're just like, you know, we we can show you what we've done. Look at all these things we've done. Look at not just in boxing, look at all these sports. Look at what we've built. And we can do that with you if you work with us. Does, so to what to extent... You talked about relationships with fighters there, and because you're young too, you probably have a bit more of a bond with with boxers than than people older than you. That's just how it goes. I remember when I was a reporter in my twenties, you definitely felt more of a. You're still in your twenties, aren't you? (laughs) If only, if only. Um, You definitely felt more of a connection. I'm in my fucking (laughs) twenties. I don't ever want to go back there. You look better now than you used to. Get a lot more sleep these days. <laughs> you look slimmer. <laughs> it's not difficult for you to get more sleep than you used to. But um, what I was saying was, yeah, I definitely felt the connection with athletes who are kind of round about the same age. But do you, uh, given the position you're in now, and it's a senior one, are you a little bit more wary of becoming too close to fighters now? Because you might have to deliver bad news. Ultimately, is a results-driven business. Uh, and as you say, you always want to part on good terms. But it's not always possible. Do you feel now that you need to put a bit more distance or not? I think because we're very straight up with people. We don't just pander to them. And I think that's what people appreciate. They don't always appreciate it at that point, but they appreciate it in the long run. You know, it's like any, any, I think, any athlete or any sportsman, you know, footballers, for example. There's a lot of people who have a lot of people around them who say, yes, 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 do what you need, do what you want. But it may not actually be the best thing for you. We have a relationship with people where we tell you the truth. You might not like what we're saying all the time, but wouldn't you rather we were honest and told you the position? And I think the relationship we have with the fighters, a lot of our fighters, is that you know we're close with you and we'll tell you what, what we think 
And if you disagree, then you disagree. But I think in the long run, that helps having that bond, having that relationship with them. Um, and as you say, because I'm younger, like I'm 27, so I've come through with some of these guys who are the same age as me. You know, we signed them. I used to take them for their medicals, for example. You look back at like Calify, Luke Campbell, Anthony Joshua, those guys who were coming through at that point from the GB squad. I took them all for their medicals to begin with. And that's that relationship, that bond you start there. And then you work through all levels with them, like AJ now, gone on to become, you know, was undisputed, uh, sorry, unified heavyweight champion of the world. And that, that build, that process throughout and understanding each other and understanding what, you know, people expect from you. And you can just have an easier relationship that way, I think. Yeah. I mean, I. Hey, hey, ki- hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! I think you have to love what you're doing as well in boxing because it, because it's such a global sport, as they say. It's not a nine-to-five job. You know, WhatsApps are going off at two o'clock in the morning. Do you know what I mean? There's time zones. It's like, it's never-ending. You're jumping on a flight, you're here, you're there. And, and, and you're dealing with a lot of different people, you know, and there's stress and there's pressure. So, you know, and there's always problems. And I think you've got to be a person that, you're basically a problem solver. You find solutions and you deal with people and you can cope. And you, th- th- These are things that I think you have to, like I so said, you can't go to university and learn that. You, um, I think you've got to have a certain personality. And also, it's experience. You learn on the job. And like you said, you, you, you were kind of, you've grown up into this job and now you're the CEO of Matchroom. But like, you're still learning. You never stop learning in boxing, do you? Even in the business end of things, because it's an ever-changing landscape. You know, one, you know, a few years ago, HBO with the, the the be all and end all. They're not even in boxing now. So you have to be able to to move with the times, don't you? Do you think that people at times have have, have looked at you and seen how old you are and thought, okay, I can I, I can take advantage of this kid. He's he's green. Um, I can have him over. Yeah, probably. You know, I've also a lot of people in the past, it probably was like, who's this 25 year old talking to me, telling me what to do? But it's only when, you know, a lot of the time as well, everyone wants to deal with Eddie. You know, at the start, so everyone sees Eddie, so they want to deal with Eddie. And then they understand, I deal with a lot more of the detail of what we do day to day. Eddie's obviously the fate, like he he does. I always say, like, he is the best promoter. I personally think out there of just going out there, talking and selling something. And I deal a lot more with the detail. So it, when it comes to dealing with people, it's normally they go to Eddie, we sit down, and then I deal with them from then on. I think once I build the relationship with people, we don't, I don't really have that problem. Obviously, at the start, they'll just look at me like, he's, he's a child. But not so much now because I've, you know, I've cut my hair looking a bit rough growing a beard that's why that's why I look like this just trying I, to I, I remember like, when I fought uh, Jorge's first on Highland in Highland and uh, you know that was put together really quickly because it wasn't going to happen in the thing with Jamie Moore then I boxed in Highland had my knuckles I was injured it was going to happen so literally like we had the press conference I think three or four weeks out 
And I remember Brian thinking, that kid ain't going to be able to run this show. Do you know what I mean? I remember him, like, that, but they, he, he doesn't think that now. Because, you know, and he didn't after the fight. He said, no, no. He said, I was like, he was, he was shocked at how efficient you were and how on the ball and, you know, organised and, and remembered everything. And, and, and it's the little details, you know, like, go on, you, you know yourself better than I do. That, that's what I always say. You know, we've got a team of close to 35 people now work to work within our within our, our business across the UK, US, Italy. And it's like, for me, the little tiny details are as, import, are as important as everything else. And that's the same across everything we do. You know, looking at just taking care of people. I just want everyone to walk away on all levels, whether you're working for us, whether you're working with one of our partners, whether you're a boxer, whether you've come as a guest, whether you've bought a ticket, to walk away and go, that was unbelievable. And if you come here and box, I want you to say, do you know what, really got looked after there. And they're all the details that are important for us with our team team now. Um, I'm quite like a... I never went, as you know, as you said, I never went to university, didn't do any event planning courses, things like that. I work with people at venues. It's like, I've just, uh, you know, where, what, you know, what, um, where have you learned about this? Oh, on a course. And it's like, well, do you actually know what to do if something goes wrong? And well, I was like, going to say, if you had gone to university yeah, and done 10 degrees, it, yeah. you wouldn't be any more qualified any to do what you were yeah. doing than what you are anyway. Yeah. I've had so many of those people when you go, yeah, well, on the, on the course it says this. It's like, yeah, but have you actually dealt with it face-to-face? And they're like, oh, no, I don't, you know. It's like, well, try and deal, deal with that situation when it comes up. And they don't know what they're doing. I've just, had to, I've just had to deal with it on my feet and understand, you know, this is from, like, the event side, from putting on a show, from security, from, you know, going to Wembley and building a, the canopy and from a football stadium and 12 hours later being a, being a, a boxing event. You know, so... We've, I think, just the experience of being chucked in, really. Yeah, I think detail is absolutely key. Any 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 big picture is made up of a million different pixels, a million different details, and if you get too many of them wrong, then the whole thing goes wrong. And we, we had a production meeting before the Progre Taylor fight, and you come to those sometimes, and it, it, it kind of made me laugh because you it's said, comical when I come. Well, it was it was it was good though because you said, okay, so if everything goes wrong, then we might have a bit of an issue with the venue curfew but uh, don't anybody worry about that I'll sort that out and I just had this kind of image in my mind of you when it got towards the allotted hour of you just standing by the fuse box ready to rumble you know if anybody was going to come here and try and turn the lights off then you know they were going to get a big surprise but pe- people think that stuff like that you got to do whatever you got to do yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pe- people with think, about 50 security guards people think that stuff as basic as that doesn't happen or isn't a problem yeah. but but it is it's exactly things like that that can be that can be a problem as basic as that well, it's like walking out to, to the o2 and they go yeah we've got a bit of a problem with the the rigging and the screens and the sound and the lights and we're two hours behind and you're going what do you mean you're two hours behind yeah we're two hours behind we're going to work on it and try and hurry it up and it's like then on the on the going right just take all the screens down we'll just have lights and we'll have the sound we got you know it's things like that that no one ever sees which they don't have to see, but like boxing doors are supposed to open in half an hour and they're two hours late. And they're just the things that happen. You know, when yeah, the medics haven't arrived. Or yeah, the medics haven't arrived or they forgot a pin for one of the rigging points. So the rigging can't go up yet. And it's on its way from Manchester and it's four hours away. 
it's it's a bit like, <laughs> like it's it's a bit like it'll be all right on the night. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you have got absolute chaos building Everywhere. up to it. But it'll be all right on the night. You'll just wing it together and do do whatever you have to do. Maybe it won't go to plan, but it'll be all right on the night. And, and that's kind of what happens, isn't it? So so what about really big nights? To what extent can you actually? enjoy them because for us it's 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 pretty straightforward our job dictates that we don't care who wins that, mm. that that's how we do it yeah that, that's how you have to be you do care because you want your guys to win because you know them but also from a business point of view you want fighters to win i remember joshua klitschko as we all do massive night huge night for matchroom as a as a business as well of course for for, yeah. for anthony's career and i remember when he was all over uh, and you were on the ring apron uh, coordinating international TV, I think, deciding when Showtime and HBO could go in and all the rest of it. And the reason I remember it is because you were a few feet away from me and I just looked up at you and you were white as a sheet and you were, you were actually slightly shaking. And I just thought, if you've got a really vested interest in who won that fight, that must have been an absolutely excruciating watch. I mean, could you can you enjoy those fights or not? Do you know what? I, I tend, a little bit more now, but I tend not to really watch the fights. I'm normally running around doing, you know, dealing with issues left, right and centre. Um, I... I tend, I was watching, I think I watched pro, I tend to watch through the fights for some reason and just sort of, my mind is never really there because there's other stuff going on, whether there's an issue with a crowd or there's an issue with the next fight or something like that. Um, there are some fighters, like you say, Josh, or, you know, again, back to the people who I've sort of come through with, where you watch them and you've got a bit more, you've got that connection with them where it's actually, I want him to, I want him to go and do it. Unfortunately, we again doing fifty fights a year, probably five. Sorry, fifty shows a year, probably five hundred fights a year. You sort of understand you're not going to win them all, you know, and that's a bit easier for us to accept than someone who's just with one team, for example. You know, like some of these guys have been in boxing a little bit, and their one guy loses, and it's like the world's over. But it's actually well, the world isn't over, is it? You look back at a number of fighters who have come back from losses, come back and gone even further than they had prior to. You know, Anthony Crawler, a great example, who's sort of taken his career to the next level, fighting Lomachenko in his last fight. You know, so I think for us, we have a bit more understanding that yeah, you're going to lose, like a football match. So every one week you might lose, one week you might win. We want you to win. But we, we're like a travelling circus where it's like, okay, back up, back onto it, next one, you know. Yeah, I mean, the longer you're in it, the more you realise nothing's ever the end of the world. It's how you come back from it, you know. You, you can choose to let that define you and defeat you or you can pick yourself up and you go again. And as long as you keep going, you know, it's not just to keep going. You've got to have talent and ability, of course, but... You know, generally speaking, if you if you keep if you are if you've got let's say the talent to give it, you know you're gonna lose some. There's gonna things are gonna happen. You're gonna get injuries, but if you stay going and you, you just keep the belief and you keep the you know in yourself and you just, it, 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 no one can write the the future. No one knows what paths and little twists and turns there's going to be along the way. But I guarantee you it's not going to be plain sailing. It ain't going to be a straight line. That's what I can tell you. It's a long road that doesn't have a turn in it. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of twists and turns in boxing, but it's just it's just keep going. So how's the how's the American journey been so far? Because that, that was a major move, massive move, really, that, that Matt Drew made, what, 15, 16 months ago yeah. now? And cracking America is kind of the holy grail in, in any form of entertainment, really. It's notoriously a very difficult thing to do. You would have gone into it with your eyes wide open that it was going to be hard. Has it been 
How was it measured up compared to how you thought it was? Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. B. Tougher. Uh, you know, I think with America, you forget like just the sheer size of it. Like for us, coming from London to Manchester, nice and easy. That's three, four hours down the road. You know what the people in Manchester are like. But we fly, you know, we do a show in New York and then we go to Las Vegas and then we go to Texas and then, you you know, you do uh, I don't know, San Francisco, or all over the place. It's all completely different. And no one cares, really, most of the time, about what's going on, you know, the other side of the country. Because it's a complete opposite... You know, the, the people are completely different everywhere you go. And I think for us, it's been like we've loved every step of it. And, you know, we're 12 months in and we're finally seeing signs of, you know, ticket sales improving. For us, in the UK, it didn't just go overnight, right, here we are, let's start selling tickets. It took us three, four years of building and building stars. That's what needs to be done in the US. My personal opinion in the US is that for too many years, boxing's been run by people who just no boxing and I know that may say sound strange but they don't know how to put on a show or an event or build a star they just understand boxing they're boxing people nothing wrong with that but it doesn't develop the sport in my opinion to where it needs to be and I think our side is we love boxing but we're also here to put on the biggest events the biggest shows and build stars but that takes a period of time especially where a market has been sort of I don't, treated, sort of mistreated, I think, you know. It's always been about take the broadcast money. Don't really care what happens now. The promoter gets their broadcast money, pays the fighter 80% of it or 70%, keeps the rest of the profit, doesn't ever build anything. It's just that sort of given, you know. And, and our, ours is let's change that. Let's do what we've done in the UK where it's let's build stars and build big nights. But it's going to take a period of time to do that. I mean, Frankie's absolutely spot on the money there. That's exactly what it's like in America. But that was the case when you had HBO picking and choosing. Promoters were almost like sub, you know, contractors. You know, and HBO was the promoter, really. Do you know what I mean? They were making matches even more so. And, you know, you get a HBO date. When's your next date? It's Without having a, a solid contract of there's 20 shows a year or 15, whatever it is, how do you plan out your year and think think two years and three years and invest when you're going show by show there's your TV it is a case of well there's the TV money maybe we'll do a bit of a game maybe this that you're literally show by show and you're on what the show made or it lasts where when you've got your own platform like The Zone or you know ESPN you can you can you can plan you can you can think a year ahead or over the year two years where when it when it's when HBO were kind of just on Showtime were like Look, there's a, there's a fee, there's a license fee for a show. How do you, what, what future can you? How can you build a business on that? I think that's been a big yeah. game changer. Yeah, and I do the one other thing. I think everyone is too short term. Like we work with so many people in boxing, who all they think about is that one pay, that one that one night, and just trying to get as much out of it as possible, with no view as to let's do something over a year, two year period. It's all one night, one fight. 
and then they'll worry about the next. Our business is built on you know nearly 40 years now of running events and building and building and building and so we have a long-term view on everything we do you know we're always it's difficult with boxing because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow if someone gets injured it completely changes the landscape someone loses but we try to have a year a year view and then we have a long-term view of what is our aim and what we're trying to get out of all of this but but you need you need the platform to do that yeah. so you need an uh you know a, a numerous years deal with a platform with the one platform to, to kind of see that through. It's like, you know, if you're bringing, a, if you're signing a kid from the Olympics or amateurs, whatever, it's probably three years before you're going to make a penny out of that kid at least, you know, and that's if he progresses quite quickly because, and if he's a good amateur, you've got competition to sign him. So you're, you're, you're losing money straight away, but it's an investment, but, you know, you don't want to rush him. And, it, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, after two years, he's had 12 fights or whatever, 15, and then maybe he's ready for titles or, or whatever it may be. But if you don't have a platform, if you don't have a, a long-term deal with a, yeah. with a broadcaster, it's very difficult. Like, again, going back to the HBO thing, if you, how do you how do you plot out that, that path for that fighter if you don't have a long-term deal with, with a broadcaster? So, you know, obviously at Sky, you were able to do that. Um, you know, the zone, so far, so good. Would you say, or yeah, you know, know it's work, we're lucky to work with great partners. You know, what Sky have done for the sport of boxing, they've always been there for boxing, and now I think they're the, they're the best platform to be with. And you know, they, they understand how to build stars, they've got the biggest sport in you know, in, in, in the UK with football, with the Premier League being on the Sky platform, being able to cross promote, you know, Sky News, everything they do, and again, then on to DAZN and what DAZN are doing, what DAZN are building, they have a fresh new approach to things and they allow us to you know, some broadcasts are very set in their ways. So everything sort of hold on to it, hold on to it. These people actually want to build because they're starting brand they're starting a brand new brand. And they're they're like, Yeah, let's go and work with other people. Let's go and you know, let's did it with that, that, that Sylvester Stallone thing. I don't know if you've seen it, the thing about Andy Ruiz. Things like that, working with people who are going to help build their brand and just get out to a new audience. So we're lucky to work with partners who actually want to grow and want to build. You know, There are some out there who are just happy with where they are. That's not what we do. We don't ever get complacent, and we don't want our partners we work with to be like that. How difficult has it been early on, though, to keep both sides of the street both sides of the Atlantic I guess really happy because British fans have uh, have complained at times that too many British fighters have been taken over to box in America um, and the domestic shows have suffered and when you look at Sky and, and, and DAZN they are different like you know DAZN a part of their advertising drive at the start was pay-per-view is dead mm. back in the UK with Sky you do a load of pay-per-views yeah, yeah. so it's that, that I mean that, that's a difficult balance it's a difficult balance and Everybody knows everything these days, so you have to, I don't know, that, there's some diplomacy required there, I guess. Yeah, I think the pay-per-view is dead messaging is obviously related to the US market, but the social media group don't quite understand that. You know, pay-per-view in the US is something like 80-odd dollars. So yes, that is dead. That is not sustainable for a, you know, a normal working-class person to put their hand in their pocket for $80 for a fight every four or six weeks. In the UK, it's a completely different model. Um, as you know, it's £20. What's that? $25 probably. Completely different. And, you know, we've seen over the years, that, that's, that's been what people are used to. Design are trying to change the game in the US. Coming back to your point of, you know, keeping everyone happy, it is very difficult. And it's also difficult because we have a duty to deliver the sort of the best opportunity for fighters. And then fans don't always like it, but 
that is financial as well. Now, this is a sport where it could be your last fight. You know, you could go in there, get injured. Like, you know, you're putting your life on the line getting in the ring. So I understand fighters should make as much money as possible doing what they do. And fans don't always appreciate that because it that might not suit their, you know, you're taking him to fight over in the US and this person to fight in the US. But that's been a case of the opportunities have been there for these guys to go in big fights out there. I think you'll see now, you know, we took on board a lot of the criticism that we got earlier this year. And, you know, you look at the, the schedule towards the end, of the end of the year, you know, you had Robbie Davis Jr. against Ritson in a fight of the year contender, Progray Taylor the week after, you now got Katie Taylor headlining here, Anthony Crawler, um, was supposed to be Buatzi as well, unfortunately pulled out. Uh, then you go Callum Smith, John Ryder for a world title. You've got the Monaco show. You know, so it's stacked cards. You know, I feel like we've taken on board people's criticism. We listen to people. But as you say, everyone's now an expert and everyone has their own opinion. And we're never going to please everyone. I was quite happy with the way the undercard announcement went down yesterday for Joshua Ruiz. That was, for once, you know, everyone quite was quite uh, happy with it. But, you know, we're, we're always looking at what the fans want. But unfortunately, they don't always understand the complexities and you know how we get to that point. I think also when you are in the position of being recognised um, number one, and I think it would be fair to say that that people will say we're biased because we work for Sky and we work together with Matchroom. But I think it's just accurate to say that Matchroom are the number one boxing promoter in the UK because you do more shows than anybody else. Uh, Sky show more shows than anybody else. There's always that kind of pantomime element that comes into it where everybody loves to just throw stones at the perceived big dog, if you like. Hence, Eddie gets booed every time he turns up anywhere. That's just a kind of... That's a fact of life. I mean, do you, do you find that a bit tiring? Or do you, do, you, do you feel that it's actually... You'd rather they were doing that than they weren't because it, it's, it's indicative of where you are? I just think they're there, aren't they? You know, they've, they've turned up, they've come to the show. Every, I think that's a little bit as well, the British mentality, is they love you on the way up. And this is across everything, not just... They love what you, when you're doing it on the way up, then you get to a point and it's like, oh, let's go the other way with these guys now. Um, I think everyone's entitled to their opinion because they pay for it, they deserve to have their opinion. You know, they're well within their rights to, to say what they feel. Um, but people... Everyone is an expert these days as to what, you know, and this is in every sport. You know, people live their lives to go and watch football at the weekend, for example, or to go to the boxing. So, you know, you have to let them do that. Um, We're going to, we ourselves are boxing fat and we want to make the biggest, big and best events. So we're not complaining. We're not just like take the money and let's just, you know, keep going. We want to grow this and keep building and keep building the sport. Um, So, we, we've got our own pressures that we put on ourselves to say we need to improve this, we need to do more of this, or we need to change this. Um, so, I, you know, I, I can understand where people are coming from. And everyone, as I say, everyone has their right to have their opinion. And, you know, we'll just keep on doing what we're doing and hopefully everyone's happy with it in the long run. So when we play this out, I think we'll, we'll probably drop this one uh, AJ week. So it'll be the Tuesday uh, Saudi Arabia yep. week. Uh, and that's, that's, that, that was big news when the fight went yeah. to Saudi Arabia. One of the things that I've never had a problem with about boxing is it's, and people laugh when I say this sometimes, is the fact that despite its murky reputation, it is a lot more honest than other industries in that it makes no bones about the fact that... Who have you been dealing with? Well, it makes makes no bones about the fact that money talks. Money talks. And if you get a big offer to take a fight anywhere, 
whoever bids the most, unless there's a really good reason not to go there, you are going to go there. And we're aware of the situation in Saudi Arabia, and I'm not making light of it at all, but you're not Amnesty International. No, and as Frank said, you know, boxing, it's not like football. You know, if Messi goes out and has a shucker, on Saturday, he's still getting paid half a million or a million, whatever he gets paid. I have a clue what he's getting paid, but he's still getting his paid when he gets paid next week. And he's playing next week and he might be man of the match. Mm. So that's forgotten about. You know, he's got 20 other, however many, 30 games a season to play. Boxing, you, you know, you, Anthony Joshua loses to Ruiz, right? He'll, 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 he's still going to earn X amount now, maybe more than ever because he's going to Saudi. If Anthony Joshua gets chinned by Andy Ruiz, he may never box again. He may not come back from that. Psychologically, confidence-wise, he may not ever come back from that. Nassim Hamad lost to Barreri, had a comeback fight, never boxed again. You know, he was so big. And if you go undefeated for so long, the bigger you are, the harder you fall. And, you know, you're on try. It's just a harder loss to take. Where you lose earlier on in your career, maybe you, you, you get over it, you've lost that, oh, the pressure's not there. It's not as bad. But, you know, there's a lot of people in boxing that think this is a bad fight for Joshua. And a lot of people think that if he loses this fight, that'll be the end of him. So why wouldn't he want to get the most money he can? You know, this isn't like, like say, basketball, you've got the next game. Boxing, you go in the ring, you're risking your life. You're, 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 it's stocks and shares, and you're rolling the dice, literally red or black, every single time. You know, roulette, red or black, rolling the dice, I don't know. Where I'm getting all the, the gambling, I'm not, I'm not much of a gambler, but you know, you know what I'm saying? You're rolling the dice, you're going in there, and you, you've got to, you know, it's a two-horse race, and you, you know what I mean? So, boxers, a boxer's career is very short, and, and it's not even, we don't even know how short, because it's very much result-based. You're as good as your last fight. So, what you earn in your next fight is going to depend how you went in your last fight. It, it's that ruthless, really. Yeah. And that's why, and I, like he said, yeah, they're promoting the best event. They're also trying to do the best for the fighter. You know, he wants the most money he can get. We're trying to please the fans. We're trying to please the broadcaster. You're trying to please a lot of fucking people. But ultimately, the guy getting in the ring is probably the most important. So, you know, it, it's a balancing act, isn't it? I mean, you're trying to... I mean, I'm not a promoter, but I've been in boxing for a long time and I've you know, managed a lot of fights. And I've, you know, I understand, I think, the business side of things as well. There's a lot of people you're trying to please. Now, well, maybe I'm not going to please you 100%. Maybe I'm not going to try and please you 100% or him or him or him. But you're trying to please everyone enough, you know, so, so that everyone's at least satisfied and you can move on and deal with them again. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the One Stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan, New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts, One Star Recruits. Did it take, how, how long did it take to decide that Saudi Arabia was, was the winning bid? We were working on a number of options. as It was quite public. You know, uh, we had MSG to go back to New York again. 
we had uh, to go to. We wanted MSG. <laughs> you know, come we wanted New York Christmas <laughs> for a bit of shopping. Exactly. Um, you know, we had the opportunity at Wales as well, which we've done a few fights at now, and. Saudi was there and it moved very quickly to be honest you know they, they they showed their interest you know you'll see from the events they have you know the WWE last night or whenever this goes out in toward the WWE at the end of October that they did the scale of the shows they put on you know they want to take over the sports industry and not just the sports industry the entertainment industry they want I think for years it's been quite closed in Saudi obviously you know not many didn't have tourism really there and now they're changing they've got a tourist visa they want people to come in but they also want to deliver for the for the residents who are living in Saudi Arabia and this is all part of their plan their vision 2030 and you know it's, it's exciting to do something completely different I feel I mean this this is probably I don't know I don't know if this is even the right way to ask the question, but is this a one-off thing or do you see this being a a yearly fixture? I I definitely think, you know, they've got the appetite to do a lot more. They love boxing, you know, the team we're working with, um, the Skill Challenge team, the the General Sports Authority, they love boxing. You know, they obviously had the World Boxing Super Series before, they had Amir Khan recently uh, and now this, and they're always looking at new opportunities. But this whole Vision 2030, which is their, you know, something they're working on and all of the seasons they do. So they they have Jeddah season, which is uh, March, sort of March, April next year. They've got Riyadh season at the minute. We're on during Diria season. So it's all part of bringing these events to town, basically, from all around the world. They've got the tennis while we're there. So this is something they're looking at across the board of sport, entertainment, music, you know, huge concerts, 70,000 people there. Um, and this is a long-term plan for them to, to, to you know, really grow and build, build the country, build the tourism there, and also, to, as I say, deliver for the residents who live there. Um, so I don't. this isn't a one-off. And, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting, as I say, to do something new. How was New York? Because I know we, we were talking earlier about how you get used to the fact that the fighters lose, but that was fairly cataclysmic. I mean, that really, yeah. really was not supposed to happen. Yeah, I think that was the big thing. It's just because no one expected it. It was just more the shock, to be honest. And it had been this fairy tale career of you know he'd gone to Wembley knocked out uh, sorry got up from against Klitschko stopped him gone to Cardiff and and just that everything around it um but then you realize it's all part and parcel of the business we're in and now this is now the biggest fight I think in world boxing that could that could take place you know that's available to take place is Anthony Joshua Andy Ruiz the rematch the biggest fight out there um and it's mad you know Ruiz became this overnight sensation didn't he just Instagram a million followers like just this superstar and I think because no one was talking everyone was looking at what's next like when's Wilder when's Fury when's this everyone sort of took their eye subconsciously off it because not saying like not speaking but I think everyone who was there you know everyone working on it oh yeah I think it did did take Anthony Joshua's Focus one hundred percent. Subconsciously, so. he, might, yeah, subconsciously. He, he, he wasn't in the yeah. boozer. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? He's still done, he's still no, done we, his we, training camp, but subconsciously, we talked about this at length, haven't we? And 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 I think everybody would would agree that 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 did happen. And I, I think with with a defeat like that, people would have this kind of image in their head that um, you know you and Eddie would just go and walk into the Hudson River. 
because Anthony Joshua's lost <laughs> you know and, what? and we, the world has ended. We actually left the venue at about 2am and we were just walking along, like in New York, the two of us. And I actually wanted to get some food, but he, he, he wouldn't let me. He said I was too fat. Uh, but we were walking along and there's all these drunk Brits going, oh, you know, like, just like, and you're like, oh, just leave us. <laughs> you know, like, just please, just leave I'm us. Not in like, the mood. Yeah, just please, not now. And like, what happened there? <laughs> like, just, and uh, it was quite, it was quite surreal, really. But I think, you know, this, it's all, it will also give AJ the, the, mentality this is the one single focus now he's got to beat Ruiz there's nothing else no one will ask him any for once no one will ask him any other question now, no one's asking when you're going to fight Wilder when you're going to fight Fury when you're going to do this it's literally Ruiz that's all he's got in front of him yeah I mean it, it, the fighters meeting me and they've said it a few times I'm a bit repetitive but like there were two questions asked about Ruiz Every other question was asked about Fury, Wilder, you know, and there was the, there was three weeks, two weeks before, two three weeks before, Wilder knocked out Brazil in devastating fashion in a round, and there was it wasn't said, but there was a, a pressure on Joshua not just to beat Ruiz, but to make a statement. Yet there was nothing on Ruiz's record that suggested it was ever going to be an early night or an easy fight, you know, but. It just shows you, you know, everyone has experienced them for as long in the tooth as everyone had been that was there. Everyone's focus was on Wilder, Fury, Joshua. When is this fight happening? What splits? Are you going to do the fight? No one was even talking about Ruiz. It, it, it's impossible for it not to take your focus away when that's the situation. I think as well, because he came in and obviously his look, he hasn't got the look at, you know, to the general sports fan who's going, he's fighting him. And then they look, and then you look at it a bit more, and you go, right. So he fought Joseph Parker, and Joseph Parker beat him, and AJ beat Joseph Parker. So he's going to beat him. You know, like to real simple terms. No, that's the logic that people yeah, use a lot of the yeah, time. Yeah, like to a general fan, I go, oh, well, Joshua's going to beat him, isn't it? And, and, and he even, but even within Joshua, when they came face to face, Ruiz happy, smiley, kind of hold the belts, kind of get a picture. You know what I mean? There was no threat at all coming you know what I mean so so he just he, he seemed like he was happy to be there you know and and if you're Joshua you know he's talking at short notice there is the talk of Wilder Fury everyone's asking you all those questions no one's asking you about Ruiz subconsciously you're looking past it I don't care who you are we generally do about an hour but we might we might go a bit over that I think for this one another one which could be arriving soon or according to top rank will be arriving soon is them coming here. That's interesting. But I suppose, given the move that you've made over there, did you anticipate that somebody would try and come back the other way at some point? Uh, look, I think a lot of people over the years have tried to come here. A lot of people have tried to go to the US. I feel like we're the only ones really have got a long-term vision and plan to actually do it. You know, well, you saw it with PBC. PBC were coming to the UK ended up doing some Eubank Junior fights, but nothing else around it. I think they did they did one... Do you remember, like, last year? Maybe it was 2018 now. They did one show and then the Eubank show, and then they've just really done pay-per-view shows. I think it's a not... Maybe it's more we, of a perception, has it? With them, anyway, it's been yeah. more of a perception, smoke some mirrors to yeah. look the part yeah. as we're global, but really, actually... To do it. They haven't yeah. really done they that, have they? Done. But it's not... It's the same thing as we've seen coming over to the US not as easy as just click your fingers we're here we're going to take over the, the, the difference is the sport of boxing in the uk is uh you know it's got a 
much bigger fan base. And, you know, it's because it's a smaller place than going to all these different states and trying to break into all these markets. You come to the UK and, it, you know, it probably would be easier to come this way than going over that way. Competition's great. We, you know, welcome. If they come over, welcome, we'll, we'll, you know... We'll, uh, it will just drive us. We don't even need it to drive us on because we don't get complacent with what we do. We want to deliver the best. Um, but, you know, we can't stop them coming over. Fair play to them. If they want to come over, we'll, uh, we'll have some fun. Okay, so I think I've pretty much asked you, um, covered all subjects, really. So let's, 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 uh, let's have some stories. Because you were saying <laughs> earlier on, before, before I hit record, that um, you had some interesting nights out. Stories. You had some Overlands. interesting nights out with, uh, with, 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 with I Ma- didn't ever with go Matt out Macklin. with Matthew Macklin. Never. <laughs> but what about the... Um, actually, that was another thing I wanted to ask you about, was the, the white collar. The white collar you did. Yeah, Pe- yeah. People will have seen that. Um, may well have seen the clip of it. it was Should have done some, it on pay-per-view, really. It was against <laughs> some bloke from Gogglebox, wasn't it? Yeah, George Gilby. He's uh, actually now in prison. Is he? Yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, how did that... Uh, it was a funny one, because you hit him with a right hand, he kind of went wobbling all over the place, and that was that was kind of it. Do you know what? So that came round. It was actually Spencer Oliver, John McDonald, a few people said, you've got to do this, right? So I was like, yeah, go on then, I'll give it a go. And I think I started training in January. Started, like, running, this, that, the other. I used to go in the bag in the office. Bazza, one, Barry once walked in, he went, what the fuck are you doing? And then walked up to Eddie and was like, he ain't got a clue what he's doing. He's going to get knocked out. And then I did all the training. It was amazing for me just to go through, because I was working, obviously, and then I was going and sparring and just getting beaten up left, right and centre by these people I didn't even know, getting hit with uppercuts I didn't even know were coming. And just remember, like, laying on the ropes one day, just thinking, how long have I had my eyes closed for? Because it feels about a minute. Um, But for me, I lost two stone doing it. That was probably one of the main reasons I did it, just to, focus myself it's very difficult for me with work to try and take myself away from it so this was something to focus myself that, that, that was a few 20 ounce steak and big cheesecakes ago weren't it <laughs> <laughs> I've put match from USA you know, I'm dining them more you know the clients <laughs> I lost two stone and put three back on but I remember um so we put so I did obviously it was going for the fight it was the end of March it must have been 2017 now long time ago and we put they put together this video of a load of people saying good luck blah 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 don't get knocked out buffer saying let's get ready to rumble it played before i went out and i was thinking right i can't lose now can i and just before i walked out oh do you know what in the morning i woke up in bed my missus was there i was like i can't i can't do this i'm not doing this (laughs) i was like i was ready to ring him and say i'm not going so (laughs) i've got there later and he's gone to me it's just for charity, Frank, so we'll go easy on each other. I went, yeah, mate, suits me, perfect, lovely. I got in there. He, for the first minute, he literally threw every punch he could have ever thrown at me. And my defence was just literally my head going backwards like that. There was no defence, there was no movement or anything like that. All went out of the book, everything that they tried to teach me. It all went out there. You know, all, nothing was there. But I remember catching him with one shot, and I think he just punched himself out. Caught him with one shot and he was like sort of backing up to the ropes and the ref went, are you okay? Do you want to carry on? And he went, no. And I was standing there, I was like, fucking no. Like, I was like, I've trained for three months and you've just tried to knock my head off. No, you're carrying, you know, like, 
it's funny the emotions that yeah, you, you go you, through. You, you want to empty the tank. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to do what he did. But um, it was a great experience for me to sort of understand a little bit, whether it's like 1% of what fighters go through, to see it. You know, and I, I'm not at all comparing it to what these guys go through. The fear, though, the, like you said, the, the, the fear of just thinking, I'm, I'm really, I really, really wish that I hadn't agreed to this now. Yes. Um, I went through that quite a few times. It's, it's yeah, and Matt was laughing there as you were describing it. But also, you're under a bit of pressure too, because if you'd made an arse of yourself in there, then then you've got fighters who would remind you of it happily. For years. Every, for years. Kevin Mitchell took you. me on the pads, and I was in the change rooms before. And a minute into doing the pads, I was like... <laughs> <laughs> like I couldn't breathe. I've trained for months and months. I don't know, could run and do anything, but I was just like my head had just gone completely. I thought this is going to be embarrassing. How do I run out the window now, like and just escape from this room? <laughs> do you know? Do you know one story that I that I always love? Uh, it never gets boring. It never ceases to like make me laugh. And he's just talking with other fighters about you know when you were when they or me or whoever was shitting yourself before a fight. It's like, you can see it's like a mutual burst out laughing because you all know what the other one was feeling at that time and you can totally sort of sympathise or empathise with it. You know, be like, I know how you feel. Do you know what I mean? It's just... Did you ever shit yourself? Ah, listen, I'm, I remember I remember in the amateurs, man, you were, I would be boxing and I would think, this is the first, I don't know, however many amateurs scoreboard fights, I'd be thinking, oh, I'm not fit, I'm fucked, I'm knackered, I feel tired. And I wasn't. It was just because I was nervous. Do you know what I mean? But I actually did think I wasn't fit and everything. Like I've obviously trained and I was, you know, boxing. But I'm that. You're that nervous at the time that your legs are like jelly. And I think I feel weak. I think I feel sick or something. I don't think I'm well. No, you're fine. You're just nervous. But it's it's getting it's getting used to that feeling and realizing, recognizing that it, it's just a feeling. You're just nervous. It, it's gonna pass once the battle goes. Once you're in there, you'll be fine. And you know, you, you grow into it, don't you? You learn, but it never goes away. It's not that like you don't. You know, the last fight you ever, you still feel those butterflies. It's not. You just get used to it, and you you know how to handle it. It's but you never. You know, there's doesn't even. I remember even my bay at that time. I'm boxing the guy. I know I'm gonna knock this guy out in a round. I've got to knock this guy out. I've no, I was over flat as well. Lights out of the plaza. Yeah, like, and I don't think he, this guy. Great like, weekend. Got, he's he's getting knocked out. I saw I saw the state of some of the people staggering around that weekend. I was only there for the Friday night. I didn't stay for the white collar on the Saturday. I think that's where the real damage was done. <laughs> That fight, I'm boxing a guy who's like, I don't know, 20 and 7, but he's like, you know, been stopped seven times out of his seven losses and his 20 wins of like basically being nobody. I, I know I should definitely stop him in a round. And I was, I'm not going to say I was nervous because I wasn't nervous, but no, I was, I was, I just, you know, just a bit of a change in something, just getting into the ring because, you know, all of a sudden there's still a lot of people here. Then I'm feeling all of a sudden, I hope I do knock him out in a round. I hope he doesn't fucking go the distance with me. That'd be terrible. You know, all of a sudden, just a tiny little bit just grips in. And, that, and that's a fight that really, I know that there's no threat here t- at all to me losing, but I still had that tiny little bit. Yeah, I mean, people say it, don't they? Froch was, was telling us that, that before one of his amateur fights when he was a kid, he, he thought, you know, if I jumped out that window now and ran away, really, would it be that bad? Even he was thinking that. And, and Frankie Gavin was saying to us that he was given late call to box one night and and he threw his gum shield in a bush to try and get out of it. But uh, they I said, love oh, them no, stories. Yeah, he said, oh, no, it's okay, we've got a spare. And he was just looking at his coach thinking, I hate you. I hate you. Uh, speak, speaking of things, situations that could make you nervous, though, how is it... Uh, how is it 
having to, he's not your father-in-law, but Chris Eubank Senior. For those who don't know, uh, Frank's other half is Emily Eubank. So Chris Eubank Senior is an interesting man, shall we say. I like the word interesting. No, do, you, do you know what? In a sport uh, with a lot of people who want to do bad, I feel, like, as in, you know, within the business, you'll you understand, like, who, who aren't the nicest to deal with. Chris is just extravagant. You know, he's, he's a showman. He is what he said. He was the original who went and did it and, you know, built his own audience and created this, this sort of, you know, what he is today. Um, it's an interesting relationship. Because I'm like, don't talk to me about boxing. Don't like, I just because for me it's hard because I don't. I'm like, we obviously have different opinions on certain things. Everyone always says, when's Chris Eubank Jr. going to join Matchroom? And it's like, for me, it's kind of just like separate that completely from my relationship because I don't. It's nice just to have a relationship away from the sport of boxing. But when it when it when I see him, he, Emily says, "Don't talk to him about boxing." And he's like, "No problem. I talk to him about boxing." And when she walks off, he talks to me about boxing. <laughs> but it's interesting to listen to him because, as I say, he's done it. He's been there. He's done it. We have different opinions. Where I work in the business of boxing, and he was a boxer. I would never question a boxer about anything to do with boxing. But the business of boxing. I'd question a lot of people because it's what I do day in, day out. So I think that's where we... But I can't wait, what well, I will be honest, I can't wait for my wedding with Eddie Hearn as the best man and Chris Eubank Sr. as the father of the bride speech because I'm just going to stand up and go, do you know what? I'll let these two deal with it. Oh I'm staying God. out of it. <laughs> that's oh, pay-per-view. That's, that's pay-per-view. That's yeah. pay-per-view. You can't, yeah. No one can that's complain about that. Pay-per-view. Oh, that will be... I mean, he could. What, I mean, what would could the split? Go Who's the B side and the A side? Ooh, I, I mean, <laughs> he's paying for the wedding, mate. <laughs> I, I was a big Eubank fan when I was a kid. I thought I, I was I, too. I, I found every single thing he did interesting because I just, just never seen anything like it. But um, hard as nails as that, well. That that speech could go on for a really, really long time, and, and God only knows where it will go in terms of the in terms of the subject matter. But yeah, that that that'll be that'll be very, very interesting indeed. So I think we've kept you long enough. Um, thanks. Thanks for your time. It's, it's been really good fun. This We'll do this again. We, we, we get people back on. Uh, we started to do that and there's no reason there's no reason not to because, the, as I said, the, the landscape just changes really, really quickly. You never know what's around the corner. Big fights rumoured for next year already. Um, some really interesting potential venues that, that people who stay up to date will they'll know what I'm talking about. And as I say... Things can turn up at a moment's notice, almost, and that—that's what keeps us all. That's what keeps us all interested. So, thanks for listening, everybody. And the usual things: if you can get onto iTunes and give us a give us a writer review and give us a, a five star rating, it, it all helps. And uh, we'll keep these coming. Get someone sneaking round a corner. Could that someone be Mac the Knife? There's a tugboat down by the river, don't you know? Where a cement bag just... Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.